0: Well, two people were seated next to each other on an airplane flight, and as they got to talking, they learned of each other's professions. Sometimes this happens to us on an airplane, we talk to the person next to us, we learn what that person's job is. Well, the first person was an astronomer who spent his career studying the planets and the stars, and the second person was a theologian who spent her career studying God and the scriptures and teaching at a seminary. Well, during the conversation, the astronomer turned to the theologian, and he said to her, I believe that all theology can be summed up with just one line. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Well, the theologian was annoyed by the astronomer's attempt to simplify her profession, so she responded with these words. She said, I believe that all astronomy can be summed up like this. Twinkle, twinkle, little star... How I wonder what you are. Well, folks, in the sermon I'm going to preach this morning, believe it or not, these two disciplines, these two areas of study, astronomy and theology, come together. We're going to be looking at one of the most interesting, fascinating, compelling, thought-provoking stories in the entire Bible. And that would be the story of the wise men or the magi who are led by a star to visit Jesus shortly after he's born. Now, there are different accounts of the Christmas story in the Gospels. There's John's account, and you may recall that I preached from John's account on Christmas Eve here in the sanctuary. There's John's account, which focuses on the pre-existence of Jesus. There's Luke's account, which focuses on the shepherds. And then there's Matthew's account, which focuses on the Magi. Uh, The Magi, as my sermon title says, they were star followers and glory finders. And what I want to do in this sermon is I want to look at some different aspects of the Magi story and see how these aspects illumine, shine light on our understanding of God. How God works in the world, how God moves in the world, and how God was fully present and is fully present in the person of Jesus Christ. Sound good to you? Well, we're going to start by reading the story itself. This is from Matthew chapter 2. And as a reminder, the story of the Magi is only found in Matthew. Uh, This is Matthew 2, verses 1 through 12. If you'd like to follow along, the words are up here on the screen. In fact, I encourage you to follow along with me. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men, I prefer the translation magi, I think it's more faithful to the Greek, magi from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his stars arose, and we have come to worship him. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. He called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of religious law and asked, Where is the Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem. In Judea, they said, for this is what the prophet wrote, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah, For a ruler will come from you, who will be the shepherd for my people Israel. Then Herod called for a private meeting with the magi, and he learned from them the time when the star first appeared. And then he told them, Go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child, and when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him too. After this interview, the magi went their way, and the star they had seen in the east guided them, to Bethlehem, It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasure chest and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. When it was time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route, for God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. This is the Word of God for the people of God, to which we all say in response, thanks be to God. There is a lot happening in this story, in these 12 verses. And when I thought about how to best organize this message, I decided to arrange it around three questions. And if you're taking notes during the sermon, I would invite you to write down these questions. Three big questions, three main questions, and those questions are these. Number one, who were the Magi? Number two, What did the magi bring and then finally number three how did the magi leave who were the magi what did the magi bring how did the magi leave and so let's look at that first question number one who were the magi well the first thing that matthew tells us about the magi in verse one he says they came from eastern lands take another listen to that verse about that time some magi from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem. Matthew doesn't tell us what country the magi came from. He doesn't tell us where these eastern lands were located. All he says is they came from eastern lands, and he leaves it at that. Now, traditionally, and I'm going to say why this is the case in a moment, but traditionally, scholars have come to identify these eastern lands as ancient Persia in what today would be Iran. Uh, We have a map of the ancient world up here on the screen. Uh, I know this might be kind of hard to see. Um, Jerusalem, can you all see Jerusalem over here to the left, Um, just over by the Mediterranean Sea? Bethlehem isn't here on this map, but Bethlehem is located just south of Jerusalem, about five or six miles away. So you have Bethlehem slash Jerusalem in the west, but then you have Persia all the way over here to the east. This would have been about, a 1,200, if not a 1,300 or a 1,400-mile journey that the Magi would have made. We are accustomed to thinking of the Magi as being there with the shepherds that very first Christmas night, and folks, I apologize if this messes up your nativity set at home, but in all likelihood, the story didn't unfold that way. The Magi came later. Now, it's possible that the star could have appeared before Jesus was born, giving the Magi more time to get there, But let's assume for a moment that the star didn't appear until Jesus was born. It would have taken them weeks, months, maybe even a year or more to get there. And actually, it's interesting. Nowhere in Matthew chapter 2, this chapter that we just read, is the word baby used in reference to Jesus. Luke uses the word baby in his narrative. Matthew doesn't use the word baby here. What word does he use? He uses the word child. Listen again. It says, they, the magi, entered the house and saw the child with his mother. So at this point, Jesus is more than a newborn. Perhaps he's a toddler. He's a little bit older. And another interesting point uh, that this verse uh, tells us is that by the time the magi get there, that Mary and Joseph are not at the place where the animals were. Instead, they've gone where? They've gone into a house. Instead, so they enter the house, and they saw the child with his mother, Mary. And so obviously, at this point, Mary and Joseph have transitioned from this place where the animals were to a house, probably to the house belonging to Joseph's family. Because as you may recall, Mary's family was from Nazareth. Joseph's family was from Bethlehem. And Mary and Joseph had come to Bethlehem for the census. And the reason we suspect that the Magi were from Persia... I mentioned I would come back to this. The reason we suspect that is that there was a religion that was practiced uh, during this time in Persia 2,000 years ago called Zoroastrianism. Zoroastrianism. Now, we don't have time to get into all the details, but let me say real quickly Zoroastrianism is somewhat similar to Judaism in the sense that both religions believe in God, but Zoroastrianism was also different because Zoroastrianism believed that God's activity, that God's movement could be discerned and studied by looking at the stars, what we might consider today to be astrology. Jewish people, this goes without saying, Jewish people did not believe this. They considered that to be a pagan practice. And that's a big part of what makes the story of the Magi so compelling and fascinating the Magi were not Jewish people like Mary and Joseph and the shepherds. Rather, in all likelihood, they were priests in the Zoroastrian tradition. And yet, think about this. God met the Magi in their own religious practice and from there led them to the child who would come for all people, Jews and Gentiles alike. We as the United Methodists have a name for this kind of divine activity, this kind of movement of God. Do you know what we call it? Provenient grace. Can you all say this with me? Provenient grace. You've heard me preach about prevenient grace before. Pastor Will has talked about it. Pastor Barber has talked about it. We're going to keep talking about it. It's a compelling uh, teaching of Scripture. Provenient grace. What does pre mean? Before. Provenient grace refers to the reality that God's grace always comes before us. God's grace always goes ahead of us. God's grace always precedes us, that God reaches out to us first as human beings before we reach out to God, that God searches for us before we start looking for God. I was reminded of Provenian grace in a pretty powerful way around this time three years ago with something that happened to me. Three years ago, this was Christmas time of 2019, shortly before the pandemic, Amanda and I decided that we were gonna visit Charleston, South Carolina. Anybody ever been to Charleston before? It's a beautiful city, I love going to historical cities, it's one of my favorite things to do. And since we've been married, Amanda and I have had this tradition where we go to historical cities after Easter or Christmas. Of course, Easter and Christmas are crazy times in the life of the church, and so this gives us an opportunity as a married couple to be with each other and to enjoy that time together. In fact, this last Christmas, uh, we went to St. Augustine, not too far from here. But that year, we were going to Charleston. So we had a plan. The plan was to leave our home, to drive to Melbourne, Florida, where Amanda's mom lives, and to drop the kids and the dogs off at Amanda's mom's house and then to spend the night there and go to Charleston from Melbourne the very next day. It's about a six-hour drive, I guess. So it was nighttime, and we had the kids and the dogs and all the stuff that comes with kids and dogs, which is a lot, in one vehicle, which Amanda was driving. I was in my Corolla just behind her, a smaller car, and we planned to drive the Corolla up to Charleston because it gets better gas mileage. So there's Amanda. She's on the interstate heading to Melbourne. I'm just behind her. I look at my gas tank, and even though it was pretty full, I thought to myself, well, you know, we're going to leave the next morning. might be nice to have a nice full tank. So even though it was pretty full, I decided I'm going to stop off at a gas station. So I went to this gas station off the interstate. It was late at night, maybe seven or eight o'clock. It was dark outside. I'm just standing there pumping gas, minding my own business. There was this guy was crouched down like this, and he was sitting at the side of the building, and he was smoking a cigarette, and he was drinking a beer, and then in this raspy voice, he calls out to me. He says, hey, her tire's blown, and I said, what? And he said, her tire's blown, and I I looked behind me, I thought, he's got to be talking to somebody else, but he just kept looking at me and saying that, her tire's blown, Then I realized what he was saying. He was referring to the woman in the vehicle not too far away from me, whose tire, and we have evidence of this. I took a picture of it. That's a blown tire, isn't it? You ever had a tire like that? Her tire, yes, somebody somebody said yes. Her tire was completely and totally blown. There was no way that she could drive on that tire. I later learned after talking with this woman, that she was from Port St. Lucie, uh, that she was driving back to Port St. Lucie from the Orlando airport. She had gone to Colorado to spend Christmas with her family. Her husband had passed away sometime before this, and she wanted to be with family for the holidays. And then after her plane landed landed in Orlando, she was heading back to Port St. Lucie. Her tire blew on the interstate. She told me that at first she thought it was a motorcycle that made that big noise because a motorcycle had been driving by her car. But then she found out, no, it's my tire. So this gentleman and I, we were doing our best to get this woman situated. Well, as we were doing that, we got to talking, and we learned a bit about each other. The guy asked me what I did for work, told him I was a pastor. He quickly and immediately apologized for all the cursing that he had been doing, (laughs) told him I wasn't offended, and then I asked him to tell me about himself. And during that conversation, I learned that he was divorced. He had just gone out of rehab. And in fact, the reason that he was smoking and drinking at the gas station is that he was living with his grandmother, and he didn't want to upset his grandmother by smoking and drinking in her home, especially given the fact that he had just gotten out of rehab. He didn't want to be disrespectful or to make her upset. I asked the guy if he had been to church over the Christmas holiday. He told me that he had, as a way to make his grandma happy, but he always felt alienated when he was in church because of decisions that he had made in life that he wasn't too proud of. And I just felt God leading me to say to him, you're a child of God. God loves you more than you could ever understand or comprehend. In Jesus Christ, God has a plan and a purpose for your life. You will always belong to God no matter what. And then there in that gas station parking lot, the three of us, this man, this woman whose tire had blown, and myself, we at church, we held hands, and we prayed. And then after we said amen, this guy had tears running down his his cheeks, and he hugged me, and he told me that was the first time in a long time that he had felt the presence and the acceptance of God. That guy wasn't looking for God at a gas station parking lot. God came looking for him. God came looking for the magi and their own religious practice, prompting them, leading them to drop everything and to follow a star. Now, we don't know if it was a literal star that the Magi followed. Some people wonder if it was a comet or an alignment of the planets or something similar. All we know is that they saw something and they followed it. And folks, imagine with me just how crazy that sounds. Going more than 1,200 miles, following a star. It reminds me of the story that I heard about this father who was with his kids and he was taking them on a fishing trip And he was looking for this special place on a certain stream in the country. But along the way, he got lost. And so he's driving down one dirt road after another. But he wanted to appear confident to his kids like he knew where he was going. So he turned to them in the back seat. And he said to them, well, we're on quite a journey right now. And his daughter corrected him. She said, no, daddy, we're not on a journey. We're on an adventure. And he said, well, what's the difference? This is what his daughter said. On a journey, you know where you're going. On an adventure, you don't know where you're going, but you go anyway. How many of you have ever been on an adventure before? Some of you might be wondering if the sermon is an adventure. You don't know where you're going, but you go anyway. These Magi were on an adventure. They didn't necessarily know where they were going, but they went. And actually, the first place that they went to was not to Bethlehem. What was the first place they went to? Jerusalem. If we think about it, this makes sense. Jerusalem was the capital city, and if a king has been born, you're not going to go to a small village like Bethlehem. Bethlehem at this time probably had a population of 500 to 1,000 people. It was pretty tiny. Instead, you're going to go to the capital city, the seat of political power. So these guys go to Jerusalem, and in particular, they go to the palace of Herod the Great, Herod the Great was the ruler of Judea during this period. He was the Roman Jewish client king. And what we have to understand about Herod the Great, Herod the Great was incredibly egotistical, and he was cruel. This guy was mean. He had palaces for himself all over the country. He didn't necessarily care about the poverty of the country, but he had palaces for himself. And he also, at one point, and historians will tell you this, he had two of his own sons executed because he was paranoid and afraid that they would take the kingdom away from him before he passed away. Herod the Great also issued an order that on the day of his death, whenever he died, he wanted people executed. That way he could be sure that tears would be shed on the day of his death, even if those tears weren't for him. The Magi had come to Herod the Great And they ask Herod the Great, well, where's this newborn king? Herod the Great freaks out. He goes to his advisors. Where's the Messiah supposed to be born? And they check in the scriptures. Well, in Bethlehem, in Judea. So Herod comes back to the Magi, and he says, what you want to do, you want to go about five or six miles south to Bethlehem. Oh, and by the way, when you find this Messiah, this newborn king, let me know where he is. I want to worship him too. Herod is lying through his teeth. He has no intent to worship Jesus. His only intent is to murder him. So the Magi leave Jerusalem. They arrive in Bethlehem to the place of the Christ child, which brings us to our second question. The first question was, who were the Magi? What's the second question? What did the Magi bring? Well, the Magi brought how many gifts? Three gifts. That's why we assume there were three of them. If you notice, Matthew doesn't tell us how many magi there were. There could have been two. There could have been 10. There could have been 15. There could have been 20. We assume that there were three because they brought three gifts. What were those three gifts? Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And if we think about it, each of these gifts carry meaning. Consider that first gift, gold. What does gold denote? What does gold represent? Gold represents royalty. Status, honor, kingship—you give gold to a king. It's fitting that Jesus would receive the gift of gold because, as the New Testament tells us, He is the King of Kings, isn't He? What about frankincense? Well, frankincense is an incense that priests would burn when making prayers to God. And Jesus, as Scripture tells us, He's our High Priest. Gold, frankincense—but wait, there's myrrh, isn't there? We have a funny meme about this. There's myrrh. I've got a really weird sense of humor. My wife can tell you about this. When I see things like this on the internet, it just cracks me up. What is myrrh? Myrrh is an oil that's only ever mentioned three times in the entire New Testament, just three times. One time is in this story, Matthew 2. The second time is in Mark 15. Jesus is up on the cross. He's being crucified. And what do the soldiers offer him? Wine mixed with what? Myrrh. And then the last time myrrh is mentioned is in John 19. Jesus dies. They take his body off the cross. Well, Nicodemus, do you remember Nicodemus, the Pharisee who had come to Jesus at nighttime? Jesus had a conversation with Nicodemus about about being born again. Nicodemus comes and he anoints Jesus' body with myrrh. So, apart from the story of the magi, myrrh is only mentioned in reference to the crucifixion and the burial of Jesus. It's as if by bringing this gift of myrrh, the magi intuitively knew what this child had ultimately come to do. He had come to suffer and die and give his life for us. The story of Christmas is always tied up with the story of Good Friday and Easter you can't get one without the other. Um, earlier this summer, I led a study on Philip Yancey's book, The Jesus I Never Knew. Some of you were a part of that study uh, during the summer months. Well, in one of the chapters of that book, and that's a great book, by the way, I, I do commend it to you. Again, it's called Philip Yancey's The Jesus I Never Knew. Um, in one of the chapters, Yancey tells the story of Matty Ricci. Matty Ricci was a missionary. He went to China back in the 1500s to share the message of Jesus with the people who lived there. Well recognizing that there was going to be a cultural barrier he decided that to effectively communicate the gospel the Christian message he would bring with him samples of religious art so he showed the people there these paintings of the baby Jesus and the virgin mary they fell in love with those paintings they said we want to hear more about this baby Jesus but then he also showed them paintings of the crucifixion and he explained that this same Jesus who came among us as a tiny baby he grew up to be crucified And they reacted with revulsion and horror and disgust. They said, get rid of those paintings. We don't want to see those. Tell us more about the baby, not this crucified God. Reflecting on Matty O'Reke's experience, Philip Yancey says these words in that book. As I thumb through my stack of Christmas cards, I realized that we in Christian countries do much the same thing. We observe a mellow, domesticated holiday purged of any hint of scandal. Above all, we purge from it any reminder of how the story that began in Bethlehem turned out at Calvary. With their gift of myrrh, the magi don't let us separate christmas from good friday and easter they remind us they show us they teach us that this was all one beautiful narrative of love this was all one big story of love that god was writing to the human race who were the magi what did the magi bring one more question how did the magi leave how did they leave take another listen to verse 12. Some of you are already calling it out. It says, when it was time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route or another road. For God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. The Magi went home by another route. Now, on the one hand, Matthew was talking literally. They literally took another road home to avoid Herod. But he's also talking spiritually. The Magi we're not the same people that they were once they came into contact with Jesus. None of us are, are we? Some of you know the story of John Newton. John Newton wrote one of the most well-known hymns there is. Do you know what hymn that is? Amazing Grace. Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Some of you might not know that John Newton, originally, he lived back in the 1700s, He was a slave trader. He participated in and profited from the most wicked and vile and abhorrent and disgusting practice that humanity has ever known, the enslavement of other human beings made in the image of Almighty God. But then he had an encounter with Jesus, and it changed him. Not only did he leave behind his life as a slave trader, but he became a fierce advocate for the abolishment of slavery. When we encounter Jesus, folks, it changes us. Just like it changed John Newton, just like it changed the Magi, just like it changes you and me and everybody. I love what St. Augustine, the early church father, this is what he wrote about the visit of the Magi. He says, so we, he's talking about you and me, we also ought to return to our country, not by the way by which we came, but by another way, which the lowly king... As taught, in which the proud king, the adversary, the enemy of that lowly king, cannot block up. In other words, when we encounter Jesus Christ, we are not to leave the same way by which we came. We are to leave completely and totally and utterly transformed. And so, as we depart from Christmas and head into this new year, 2023, and all that 2023 offers us, May the hope of Christmas continue to change and transform us from the inside out. Happy Epiphany. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.